it's page 846. Um, I didn't used to, used to be able to do that, but now we have all, all matching pew Bibles. So um, we upped our game, I guess, a little bit. If you're joining us for the first time, or if you're uh, watching us online, I'm Eric. I'm the, I'm the lead pastor here. And um, I'm just, uh, we're so thankful that you uh, would choose to worship with us this morning, um, whether that's in person or, or, or through or online. Um, so we've been working through the book of John for a large portion of 2018, and we will finish it in 2019. Um, those of you guys who, uh, who, are, uh, who are maybe new or unfamiliar, um, we, we preach what we say is, um, what, not what we say, but is, is known as um, exegetical preaching, or um, what it, which just means that we take a book of the Bible and we go verse by verse and we just kind of walk through it. Um, and I, you know, it's something that we don't, I don't talk about, I don't think enough. Um, but it is important, and then the reason we do this is that we see the need um, to go through the Bible and read it and, and to preach it the way that we should read it. Um, and so if you're, you know, if, and, and, and here's my good commercial. Uh, we're about to start 2019. Um, we're a little over a week away. So if you're like, hey, listen, man, New Year's resolution, m- might I challenge you on one that you would begin to regularly read the Bible? Um, we do have Bible reading plans out there. We always encourage people at the beginning of the year to grab somebody um, and, have, and have accountability. I know Sarah, last night, um, she was reading the Bible on her phone. I just, I, I just, I don't have an issue with it. I just, it's just not for me. I, I don't, I don't really like it. Um, I like, I like, I'm a paper, I'm a paper Bible guy. I'm a paper book guy. Like, I don't like Kindles. I don't like e-readers. Like, I'm a paper book. I like how books smell. I like how they feel in my hand. I like being able to write in the, in the, in the margins. So it's just my thing. Um, and I mean, I'm not, I'm, I'm not that old. So, but it's just, I just like paper books. It's, it's just my feel. But if that's not your thing, I know Sarah uses the Bible app with another girl in our church, and they, here's the cool part about that, there's built-in accountability. If you don't do your reading, the person you're doing the plan with can be like, you didn't read today. Like, I, I can see on the phone. So, um, it, it would definitely encourage us to be, so, it, so if, if that's something you need, um, and find somebody, be like, hey, let's go through the Bible together. Hey, let's, let's, let's do some reading together. I, right now, I'm in First Corinthians, so um, that's been good. Um, it's, it's also, I'm also pondering sermon series down the road. Um, for those of you guys who don't know, um, we've already planned 2019 out. We know what we're preaching on next year, and we're already thinking 2020 at this point. Um, so that's, uh, that's, that's the case. But First Corinthians is going to happen at some point, just probably not for the next couple of years. Um, anyways, man, we're so happy. We're so excited for Christmas. I was looking at pictures the other day um, and how we've decorated for Christmas the last couple years and then how it looks this year. And it is, I mean, like, listen, everybody who stuck around, a couple weeks ago and helped us decorate. Thank you so much. It is absolutely beautiful. It looks, um, it looks great. Um, I think I shared pictures with some of our staff and our leaders and was like, hey guys, check it out. This is what it used to look like. And so um, I, think, I think it really, it really came out good. Sarah, uh, my wife, Sarah picked the, um, she found the Christmas bulbs at, um, I don't know, one of those places on Black Friday. And she wanted them to match the rest of the, rest of the sanctuary. So um, I did think about coming up here um, those of you guys who, 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 who are, who've never heard this, we have a debate in our house between white lights and colored lights. So me and the kids are, color, are, are team colored lights, and um, Sarah informs us that it's redneck and white trash, um, is what is, I think, her exact words. Um, so, however, if you have r- colored lights in your house, I'm, like, 
I'm, I'm, I'm with you on that one. Um, so it's just, I know it's just her thing. It's, it's just like our running debate um, until we lose out. And though I, how, how these trees work, if you take the plugs and you flip them, that I can actually, without doing anything, I can make those lights colored. And I've actually thought about coming in here on a Sunday morning and moving them around to watch Sarah like stress out. But now it won't be as much fun because now she knows it'd be me. But uh, anyways, I mean, listen, I am so excited for Christmas Eve. We didn't do a, an evening service last year because Christmas Eve was on a Sunday. And we just, I mean, that's just, that's a lot going on the day before Christmas, Sunday morning, Sunday night. So we just said, hey, just doing Sunday morning service. But uh, please join us tomorrow. Um, tomorrow night it'll be, it's a family service. It's much, it's very laid back. Um, it's, it's, you know, we'll sing Christmas songs. Um, we'll, we'll read the story of Christmas. Um, I, I think the kiddos are singing a song. Um, and, uh, and it'll just be a good time. We'll, you know, light candles, all that other good stuff. So that's tomorrow at seven. We'd love for you to come invite your friends, invite your family. Um, it is, it is a fun, it is a fun time to, to gather and get together. So, um, I'll have just eaten. So, uh, hopefully my, the, the sweater I've picked out to wear will, will still fit. Um, but anyway, so, so we're, we're, um, so we're in our, in the book of John. Um, and if we remember, we, we, we caught up, um, Jesus just, he, we, we've entered into the last week of his life. You know, Sam preached a couple weeks ago as, as, they, as they, Jesus comes to Jerusalem for the last time. And the rest of the book of John is Jesus' last week on earth, which is crazy. It's like half the book. So we get to this point and we see, uh, we see what's going on. And so um, it's kind of funny that this is the passage that would come up today because it actually deals with um, why Jesus came and it, and it just lands like right before Christmas. It wasn't planned. We actually added some extra sermon series in there. I think the Lord just looked out for us and made it line up well. Um, so if you revivals, go ahead and open with us. To, to, uh, we'll start in verse 44, 1244, and we'll go through 50 um, this morning. And, um, and, and so remember, we, we, we just finished up um, that, that Jesus said the Son of Man must be lifted up, um, and then he draws men unto himself, and that there were still people who saw everything that happened, and they didn't believe. And then, so now, now we kind of pick up on that. It says, um, in verse 24, it says, And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken of my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father told me. So this is, guys, this is the conclusion of Jesus' public ministry. Everything else that happens now is really happening inside of his, his closed circle, as people around him. So this is like the last time that Jesus really proclaims himself to the crowds, to the public, to everybody else. So, so I, I think this is uh, some things that we really need to be able to do this. Um, this wasn't planned, but we do see the importance of the incarnation. So let me, let me explain what that means. So when we talk about, about Jesus, we talk about a couple of different um, big times. And so um, Jesus is, is, we call what happens at Christmas the incarnation. It means that the living God, the, the, the holy God, enters into human history as a human being, as the second person of the Trinity. He doesn't 
become, he doesn't exist for the first time. He doesn't become a a flesh and, 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 and all of a sudden show up. No, Jesus has existed eternally. He just enters into human history as a human being for the first time, right? So we see this. So the incarnation happens, right? And, and Jesus becomes fully man, fully God, all at the same time. And I know if, if you're like, hold on a second. No, no, he's 100% God, 100% man. Not 50-50, not 60-40. He is 100% of both. And, and, if, and if you're a math person, you just said, but Eric, that equals 200%. So, so we're, we're grasping this. So you know how like it, we tend to like, if, if we can't fully understand something, you know how we kind of make up words for it? Like we go, oh, I don't really understand what that means. So let's invent a new word to try to describe what we don't actually understand. So um, in theological terms, they, they use the term hypostatic union to describe what happens at Christmas. It means that, that God and man happen all at the same time. And if you're like, hey, I don't really get that, theologians invented a word to attempt to describe it because we don't have the words that already exist to describe it. So that should, that, that should give you some comfort that you're like, hey, guys who, sp- guys who spent their entire lives studying this don't fully understand this either. So don't, be, don't feel bad about that. So, so Jesus enters into human history, right? So what do we see? Well, the first thing that we're going to see is that Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. So we have faith in Christ. And when we have faith in Christ, we also have faith in the one who sent him. And to believe in Jesus is to believe in God. At the same time, to reject Jesus is to reject God. Um, and he's more than a prophet. Now, now we understand this, and, and I know that many other religions view Jesus as a prophet and view Jesus as somebody who could be listened to. However, I would argue that doesn't actually make sense. Why is that? Well, the, uh, C.S. Lewis famously said this, and it's been repeated time and time again, is that Jesus cannot be a good teacher and not be who he claims to be. He can't. That's, that's not possible. Why is that? Well, because Jesus, who Jesus has claimed to be God, to be the Son of God, is central to who he is. And if he is wrong about that, we can't trust him in anything else. So, when, when we look at other religions who claim that he is a great prophet, that's not the case. Colossians says he is the image of the invisible God. Guys, we can't see who God is. We see his character. We see his attributes. We see many of these things. However, we cannot fully see who God is. If you want to know who God is... Simply look at the person of Jesus. Because Jesus points us to who God actually is. How do we know that? We'll look at it. it, it because, because Jesus is God. John 1.1 1, 1 says, In the beginning was the Word. And, and, and if you've been with us, and if you've stuck it out from the beginning of the John series, way back in January, you know that when we talked about the Word, it means Jesus. In the beginning was Jesus. And, the, and Jesus was with God. And Jesus was God. It doesn't mean that he ceased to be God. It just means that he is God. He is eternal. He he has always existed. So the reason that Jesus can be the image of the invisible God is because he is God. Once again, if we we start the head-turning thing where you're like, I don't really get that, it's okay. There's entire volumes written about this. Like I'm, I'm, I'm going through some systematic theology on a break from seminary I don't, yeah, 
don't know what's wrong with me. Um, and, and at the same time, there are large chapters about this that explain who God is. If you're, if you're like, dude, listen, I'm, 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 I'm wicked confused on this. Um, so when we talk about theology, oh man, see, um, you can expect all this this morning, I bet you. But so um, ology is what? Psychology, biology, right? We hear all this stuff. Ology would be the study of. Um, and we get the term theo, it's, 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 it's God. It means God. So, so theology is literally the study of, of God. So underneath theology, you have what we call theology proper, which is actually the, 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 the study of actually who God is, the attributes of his God, and the character of his God. Uh, of God. So, so, so follow me on this. Studying God is such a large portion of what we do as Christians, of what... Um, guys like me who are professional theologians do that we have our own discipline underneath what we study. And then underneath that discipline, we have even bigger dis- we have disciplines as well. So if, if you sit there and you go, I, I don't, th- this idea that Jesus is God, was God, is eternal, has always existed. And if you're like, I can't wrap my head around that, it's, it's okay. I would argue it's actually a good thing because it means that we can't fully comprehend God, that he's, that he's so great, he's larger than our ability to comprehend, which ultimately should drive us to worship him because we, he, he's, he's bigger than we can be. So we see this, but then here's an interesting, here's kind of an interesting issue that, we, that, that, that I think we have to deal with, is that we see Jesus is subordinate to the Father. That means that he submits to the authority of the Father. So whatever he does is exactly what God wants to be done. And I think that's, to me, to me, this is tougher than the idea of Jesus being God of, of all eternity, is that Jesus, who's God, submits to God. And he even goes on to say, when Mike was talking about how Jesus will be coming back, he says, um, for the Father knows the date. He's like, I don't even know the date. But, but, but you. So, so I, to me, that's the, harder, that's the harder concept to wrap my head around. Jesus even says it. He says, for I've, not come down from, uh, for I've come down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. I kind of want to plant our flag here for a second, is that when we talk about doing the will, Jesus talks about doing the will of him who sent me. Guys, can we, can we think about what we have to learn from this for a second? So here's Jesus, who we just saw as what? The, the image of the, the visible of the invisible God. He, he, he is God incarnate, and he says what? I do the will of my Father. I don't do my will. I do the will of the one who sent me. I think that should change and impact the way we live our lives. I do. Because if Jesus, who is God incarnate, says, I do the will of the Father, how much greater does that need to be the testimony of our lives? Is that we do the will of the Father. I, I do what God wants me to do. Well, what does that look like? I, I think sometimes we wrestle with what that, what that looks like. I think we struggle with 
what that looks like. Because we are some, honestly, we're some self-absorbed, self-centered people. Think about it for a second. You go home from work, you go home from school, you know, whatever it is you do during the day that makes you tired. And what do we talk about doing? Oh, you have to go home and have some time to yourself. Oh, I need some time to myself. Oh, I, I, need, some, I need some me time. People work hard for retirement. John Piper is one of my favorite pastors. He writes this book about this, this couple who saves all their money, retires early to a tropical place and, spends a re- and, and plans to spend the rest of their retirement collecting seashells and just spending time. And that sounds awesome, right? That's the American dream. The American dream and the gospel are at, uh, live at odds with each other. They do. We have this idea to acquire wealth and to, and to, and to hold on to it and be able to uh, spend time at our leisure and not working. And I'm, and I'm not, I mean, hey, listen, sometimes people's bodies break down. Um, we, we, we end up in the twilight of our lives and can't necessarily um, work the way that we, maybe we once did. Um, but I would argue that, that if we truly are believers, that we never retire from following and serving and loving Jesus. I was, I was reading this, um, reading a book and an article by, by a guy who's, who's discussing um, leadership and, and in the church, elders and pastors. Um, for those of you guys who don't know, in, in our church, um, we identify elders and pastors. They're basically the same thing, except that pastors are the guys who collect the paycheck from our church. Elders are the guys who collect the paycheck from somewhere else and work alongside the pastors to um, help run our church. Um, and he was talking about how he has, past, he has elders in his congregation who pass up promotions, who pass up um, more money, who pass up um, uh, more prestigious jobs that they might have extra time to serve their church. He talks about people in his church who are offered promotions, significant promotions within their company. However, they have to relocate and they go, you know, I don't, I don't want to leave my church family to go relocate. I, I want to stay right here and I want to serve alongside the people who I've been with. And they, and they turn it down. And I think about that and I go, you know, what an awesome testimony of what's important in our lives. I mean, re- realistically, guys, I'm not, saying, I'm not saying like not work. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm an advocate of hard work. I'm an advocate of, of doing your job and doing it well. However, I'm, I'm not an advocate of, of you and me being defined by our job, being defined by our vocation. Our definition and our, and our identity lies in Christ and Christ alone, uh, for those of us who, are, who, who have placed our faith in Jesus. Um, and, and your identity is in Him. And I would argue if we work so much at our jobs that we don't have enough energy to serve Jesus, then, then we've got our priorities turned around. And that oftentimes, those of us, you know, those of us in our culture worship comfort much more than we worship Jesus. And so, I, and so I think we have to really take a step back at this, and we have to say, whose will am I seeking to live by? Am I seeking to make my life comfortable? Am I seeking to make my life easy? Or, or am I seeking to do the will of Him who sent me? See, that's when we, when we uh, 
as I, as I talk about leaders, let me, when we talk about identifying, training, and raising up leaders in our church even, those are the things that we look for. Is this someone whose life reflects a desire to do the will of God? Is this someone who, who, who evidently desires to make much of, of God? Or is this someone looking for authority, for a title? I mean, we've done that. Sarah and I have shared that before. In, our, in a previous church, we put people in leadership, man, who just did, who did not belong. Um, and it turned into uh, a horrible, terrible thing. So, so these are all things that we look at. And, and the reason we say that is look at Jesus. If anybody could say, do what I want, worship me, I'm above all else, it's Jesus. And he says what? I've come to do the will of the Father. Not my will, but his will. And I think that's something for us to understand. And if we love God, we love Jesus. I, I, I hear people talk about this all the time. And you hear people specifically say, oh, I love God. And they, and they talk about God. They talk about God. However, if, if we talk about God and we leave Jesus out, that's, we can't love God unless we love Jesus. We, we, it's, it's not possible. We also see that Jesus comes to save God's people. Jesus comes to save God's people. We get two promises. If you look in verses 46 and 48, he says, I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge them, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save it. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. Guys, listen. Jesus gives two promises in this. When my kids were little, I always would tell them, I'd be like, I would, I would warn them about something. If you do this, this will be the consequence. Like, very, very clear. If you know me very well, that probably makes perfect sense. I'm very, you know, systematic, categoric. Like, if you do this, this will be the consequence. And so, when, when inevitably they eventually did that, I would say, well, I have warned you, and now this will be the consequence because I told you that was going to be the case. And then I'd have to, I'd have to make sure they understood. Listen, this is not a th- I'm not threatening you with this. I'm, I'm, in fact, making a promise to you that if this happens, this will be the consequence. 100% of the time. I, I can't go back on it. I can't go back on my word. You can be very, very sorry. You can uh, be sorrowful. However, because I promised you this was the consequence, this has to be the consequence. I can't go back on my word. Jesus does the same thing here. Notice I don't say that Jesus is threatening the people. Jesus is, no, he's, he's giving them a promise. He's saying, listen, if you believe in me, then you believe in the one who sent me. However, if you reject me, I, I'm not judging you. However, Jesus will be given the authority to judge. It's, it is God's authority. He said, but the words that I give you will judge you. Goes back to last week. Remember what we, we we talked about that the people who watch Jesus perform these miracles, and then they t- in turn reject him. And we we hear people say, maybe maybe you're someone here who's sitting here this morning, and you're saying that and you say, well, I've always said if God would just per- if God would perform miracles like He did in the Bible, then I would believe in Him. No, you wouldn't. The people who were eyewitnesses to Jesus doing it, I mean, like literally saw Jesus walk. Raise a man from the dead. Heal people. Still found ways to reject him. That's not the case. 
His word has to, has to penetrate deep into our hearts, transform us that we may believe in him. If we reject him, we, we spend eternity apart from him. How do I know? Look what, G, look what he says way back in the beginning of John. He says, for God, this is right after, for God so loved the world, he gave his only son. And then he, Jesus goes on and continue, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world in order that the world might be saved through him. So we see this again. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. Because he's not believed in the name of the, son of, the, uh, of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. Look, look, look at parallels what we're reading right now. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. I remember this. I think I've told you this guy, the guys this story before. We were, I, was, I, was, I didn't become a believer until I was a teenager, um, right, right before I started high school. And so um, one, one particular night now, this might date me a little bit. Some of you guys who are younger millennials or, or whatever that next generation is, the idea of being just turned loose at night with no adult supervision probably seems completely foreign to you. But way back in the 80s, like parental supervision was like not even a thing. Like your parents were like, yeah, um, don't die. Seen a little bit. My favorite is you guys seen that little meme? It's that kid riding the big wheel and he's like up in the air and he's like, no helmet, no pads. No helicopter moms. That's literally like our life in the 80s. Like my mom would be like, if she was home, mind you, she was home in the summer. Ready? Ready for this? Some of you guys, this is going to sound crazy. I would spend the entire day at home by myself with no grown-ups all summer long. And I don't mean when I was like 15. I mean when I was like 9 and 10. Like, like my parents would go to work and they'd be like, yeah, I mean, you know, don't go anywhere. I remember one year I got grounded. I got grounded. <laughs> With no adult supervision. So this, we didn't have cell phones, so it's not like I could, this is, you know, it's not like I could like carry my cell phone around and be like, I'm sure I'm at my house. No, I would open the window to my room and put the cordless phone right on the edge of the window. We had a basketball hoop. I'd go out and shoot baskets. So when my parents called, I would race across, the, across our yard, climb up on the window and be like, hey, what's up? And poke my head inside, right? So my parents would be like, are you, of course I'm inside. Man, this sucks. I'm so bored. Man, I'm definitely not outside playing basketball. But we would go, I mean, like there would be no parents around us. So, and then, or the parents would hang out and smoke cigarettes and drink, and we would be like left to our own to like run the streets, which meant is what we looked forward to because we were like, man, they're too occupied. Now, let's think about this for a second. We ended up with like three or four. 12, 13, 14-year-old boys, unsupervised, in the dark. Now, maybe you guys are better kids than I was, but that's a recipe for mischief and disaster to happen. So we had this kid in our, in, in our neighborhood that we didn't really like, um, and we decided to mess with him, and so we were, you know, ringing his doorbell and running. Um, however, it really messes with his parents, but, you know, when you're, like, 13, that doesn't, like, that doesn't, like, click for you. My buddy just got his new hat, and we ring the doorbell, and this kid, so mind you, the kid who we're messing with was like grown man size, was like a big grown man size when we were like 13. Um, for what it's worth, I grew up in the South, we called him Bubba, so you don't call small kids in the South Bubba, like that's just not, you just don't do that. Um, and so he was a large kid, uh, and we rang his doorbell, and we took off running, and one of my buddies had just gotten a new hat, and he, somehow he turned the wrong way, and his hat like flew off his head, 
in the middle of Bubba's yard. So we go run and we find the dark. Somehow, my buddy's hat found the one spot in the yard where there was no lights shining on it. Like it was like light, light, lights. And there was this one little dark spot. And I always, whenever I read this verse, I always think of this. It says, who, and the people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. We would do stuff at night and we would get into mischief because it's dark and you can hide. And we still do it now. Think about it for a second. Think about whatever sin it is in your life that you don't like people to know about. You don't tell people you do it because you're embarrassed. But you also don't tell people because you don't really want to stop doing it. That's okay. I mean, it's not okay. It's the reality of things. We, we all have something. I don't say that. The reason I say it's okay, it's not okay. I don't want to shame anybody this morning and pointing the finger and being like, you have this evil that you love. Because we all have it. If we shame people with it, we never deal with it. If we create a culture in our church where we can't talk about the thing that we don't want to talk about, how do you ever work through it? These shoes, you have, you have to want to. And if you're a believer, at some part in you, the Holy Spirit has convicted you, and you want to work through it. But you have to be open and transparent and willing to talk to people. Listen, um, I, I, I had a youth pastor, not my favorite youth pastor I ever had, um, but he said something very wise. He said, to have a friend, you have to be a friend. It's one of those things that's always kind of stuck with me. Because think about this. If you want close relationships with people, and don't tell me you don't, because that's a lie. We all do. Literally watch any TV show with an ensemble cast. What happens? Everybody is painfully all up in each other's business, painfully all in, up in each other's lives, right? And we watch it and we laugh. And we, deep down inside, we all long to have that. There's a reason Friends is still on Netflix and people watch it like 20 years after it premiered. Why? Because it resonates with us. We go, I truly want that in my life. I want people who love me that much who are all up in my business. I mean, like we do. You have to do it too, though. Guys, listen, if, if you want real relationships, not just with Jesus, with Jesus, but if you want real relationships, if you want to be in a, in a church, in a community where people love you, where they care about you, where they bring stuff to you when you're sick, when they uh, will seek to, to lift you up when you're broken, you have to be vulnerable. And if you can't be vulnerable, you're always going to have a shallow relationship with other people. Are people going to fail you? Yeah. Are people going to hurt your feelings? Yeah. Are, are people going to do things that, that, that you don't necessarily like that are hurtful at times? Yes. On the flip side, you're going to do that too, though. And, that, and that, that's why it's so hard. I think sometimes that's why we end up with so much conflict with other people in our church is because it's always not an affinity. Think about your friends. You pick your friends based on people that you have things in common with that you get along with, shared interests, shared likes, all that kind of stuff. Think about your family. 
don't always have shared interests. You don't always have shared anything. You, you know what I would argue that, that, that you always have in family? You have a lot of conflict. Because you have people that you're stuck with. You're like, I'm stuck with these people. We share the same blood. And, and it's like no matter what you do, what they do, you're like, fine, I'll, I'll give them another chance. Because you love them, because you're related to them. Guys, if, if, that's what the Bible compares the church to, is a family. And if we treat our church that way, then we understand that, listen, people are going to fail me. People are going to mess up. People are going to say things that hurt my feelings. And if I just ball up and run away and never talk to them about it, well, then it's just going to fester and bad things are going to happen. No, we, we, we work through things in a, in a way that we attempt to be healthy, that we love, that we care about each other, and that we can work through some of these things. Why? Because ultimately, we're all sinful people. We're all broken people who make lots of mistakes, who willfully disobey God routinely. How do I know that? Because the Bible says it. It says that we stand before God condemned. That's the way that we start off life. It's not like you start off good and finally you do that one thing that's so bad that now you're... No, no. The Bible tells us that we stand condemned and guilty before a holy God. the joy. That's the benefit of Christmas, is that God sends Jesus into human history that he might make us not guilty. That he might remove the guilt from us. I think about it oftentimes in my head like a courtroom. When you stand before the judge and you're, man, and you're guilty, like you have a signed confession there's video of you doing it. There's hundreds of witnesses. There's the greatest prosecuting attorney on the other end who's, who's accusing you of all the evil that you've done that you have no answer for because you're like, yeah, I've done it. I've done it. I've done it. But think about this. It would be like the judge saying, I, 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 I see your guilt and you are guilty. But then the judge removing his robes, stepping down, and saying, I'll take the punishment. Let him go free. That's ultimately what Christmas leads to. Christmas is important because it allows Easter to happen. The same message that proclaims life to the believer proclaims condemnation to the unbeliever. Jesus says that my words... Ultimately, we believe in Jesus or we reject him. We see that offer of freedom, of forgiveness, of, of no guilt. And we say, yes, or we say, no, God, I got this. And just heap more guilt upon ourselves. How do I know this? Well, because look, look, is that ultimately is that Jesus speaks with God's authority. When Jesus speaks, they are the literal words of the Father. Greater than any prophet. You know, when we talk about Old Testament prophets, we talk about the guys who speak, who speak on behalf of God, on behalf of God, as opposed to Jesus who speaks the literal words of God. And he proclaims them to people. Guys, this is why we have to make a decision of how we're going to respond. 
we either say, hey, listen, we believe Jesus, and we love him, and we place our faith in him, and we have eternity with the Father, or we reject him. And we live our life as we see fit, and we roll the dice, and we hope it works out okay in the end. That's a dangerous game. Not only that, but let me... Let me it's not... I mean, it is eternity. That, that, that's by far the absolute most important thing that we deal with when it comes to Jesus. And I think sometimes we, we, we have a hard time wrapping our heads around We have a hard time looking at that. Guys, eternal life doesn't begin when you die. Eternal life begins as soon as you know Christ. Because this is as bad. If, if, listen, if you know Jesus, and this is as bad as it ever gets. It's as bad as it ever gets. I mean, it, it, will, it will never get worse than your experience here on earth. And even if it is bad, guess what we can do? We know we have hope in the end. Isn't it much easier to persevere through something when you know that there is something on the other side of it? I was watching... Um, um, a documentary, don't judge me, um, and it's, it follows a, a, a class through Navy SEAL training, which is regarded as the hardest military training on earth. And one guy who actually ends up making it through, he said, you can't think about the end of it. It's six months long, six months. He said, you can't think about, I graduate." he's like, I can't think about I graduate in five months. He's like, that's overwhelming. There's no way I can get through it. He's like, what I have to do is I have to just think about it. I have to get through today. Sometimes that's too long. Sometimes he's like, I have to think, man, I just, I just got to get through lunch. I got to get to lunch. If I can make it to lunch, I'm going to be okay. He said, sometimes that's too far. Sometimes I have to think, okay, I have to get through this evolution, and I'm going to be okay. He said, sometimes that's too far. He said, sometimes I have to be like, I'm going to get through this push-up, and then I'm going to get through the next push-up. And then I'm going to get through the next push-up. Why? Because when we know that there's an end in sight, it's much easier for us to persevere through things. Guys, if we know Christ, this life, no matter how hard it gets, no matter how tough it is, no matter how hard it is, when we know where we're going in the end, we will persevere to the end. Because ultimately our hope is no longer in ourselves. It's no longer in our strength. It's no longer in our ability. Our hope is in Christ. And if we have that hope in Jesus, we know what the end holds. And it's greater than what we can imagine. We must place our faith in Christ. So if you're here this morning, let me ask you, in your relationship with Jesus, what is your next step today? Do you need to place your faith in Christ? Do you, do you need to place your faith in Jesus for the first time? I'm going to say this now because after, the, after I pray, nobody pays attention anymore. Um, in the back, um, myself and Sam are back there. And if you need somebody to pray for you, if you need some question, if you have a question, if there's anything, if, if, if you have an, an ailment and you just need somebody to pray for it, or any of that kind of stuff. That's, that's what Sam and I are back there for. We'll, we'll be there and we'll, we'll, we'll talk, we'll pray, um, and, and we'll, you know, we'll, 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 we'll muster through this as long as we have to. I mean, I have the past DVR, so I can go home and watch that at any time. So that, that's the case. Um, 
maybe you, and, and maybe you just have questions. Maybe you're this morning and be like, Eric, I don't, I don't really grasp this idea of what you mean about, about placing my faith in Jesus. Well, well, we're in the back. Come talk to one of us. Um, maybe you, you need to commit um, to, to living life bold in your faith. Maybe you're a believer and, and you're like, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm a coward in my faith. I'm, I'm not bold. I don't share Christ. Maybe you need that. Maybe you need to be baptized. Maybe you're, you've been searching for a church or a community to be part of. Well, you know, we, we, we'd love for you to come and, and, and be part of, of, of our church family here as, as we strive to, li- to live like Jesus and to, and to be more like him. Um, I don't, I don't know. And that's why you have to take that step. Um, because if I take the step for you, then, then, then you're not following Jesus. You're, you're following me. You know, if, if, if God's got something on your heart to, to, to be part of min, a ministry or to have a mentor or to be part of a church, then, like, like I could tell you how to do that. But then ultimately, you're, you're following Eric. You're not following, following Jesus. I can, my, my job really is to guide you and to give you the tools and to help you and ultimately um, give you the ability to follow Jesus, that your relationship with Jesus is your own. And so I, so I pray this morning as... We close this, as we close um, our time of, of, of preaching, that you would really um, reflect on where you're at um, this morning and what the next step needs to be in your relationship with Jesus that you might grow closer and closer to him. Let's pray together. Father, we just thank you. As we can celebrate Christmas, that we can celebrate your coming that we can celebrate that you enter into human history.